Good morning, everyone. It is beautiful. I think every time we get together when it's sunny, we can't but say it's a beautiful morning. Can you feel it? Can you feel the crispness of the morning air, which feels like it's going to get warm? Do you see the earth coming alive with the perennials and the trees and shrubs just starting to bud? Do you hear it? The birds are singing. They know it's there. Do you know what it is? The weather says it's looking pretty clear. I think it's exciting because we're all going to be in our gardens after the Lana Garden Show. But it is time to prepare. It is time to feel the stimulus of our hands in the soil. And it tells us that our gardens will be. And the poem today, A Garden Can Be. A garden can be a place of peace for me, watching nature and flowers be. The gentle breeze that blows around can be such a gentle sound. A garden can be a place to work, with weeds attacking in the lurk. While we dig them out of dirt, the weeds, our flowers, will not hurt. A garden can be a place of beauty filled with flowers that are so groovy. A tiny seed planted, and then it blooms. The fragrance can be soon consume. A garden can be place for all to enjoy, even for the little girls and boys. It is a place to see nature in action. Gardening can be such a passion. Welcome back to the Lawn and Garden Journal. And yes, gardening is a passion. We get excited about it. And I was just talking to Eva here, and she said it's also therapeutic. It's therapeutic because it gives us that release of energy that we can use, and it gives us hope for something that's there that's going to grow. And it gives us pride for what we've done and succeeded, with maybe a little bit of challenges, but that makes us grow too. So let's go to the lines and see how we can grow together. Burnett is on the line. Hello, Burnett. Um, are you talking to me? Yes, I'm talking to you. My name is Bernice. Bernice. Oh, hi, Bernice. <laughs> Sorry, I got it wrong. Yeah. And I'm from calling from East Selkirk. I'm having problems with my uh, tomatoes. Some of the leaves on them are turning brown and whitish brown. It looks like they got a blight or something. I've been spraying them with uh, copper spray. Is that good? or? Well, copper spray is going to be a little bit of beneficial. You're probably taking in a little bit of preventative measures. Now, the whiteness on the leaf. Now, have you placed them outside to start climatizing to the outside? Yes. Okay. So I can say that it's probably not a blight. Um, greenhouse grown and plants that are indoors, the house... And it just, it happened to us too as well. We put a few of our cucumbers out a little soon here into the sun. And we didn't acclimate them to being in a full sun. And, and, and a better way of saying it is if I went outside on a sunny day today and I worked all day, I'm going to get sun scald or sunburn. And your leaves, if they're kind of got that whitish cast to them, yeah, they have a little bit of a sun scald. Oh, okay. Okay, so... Keep up the fertilizer with it, and your new growth will be lush and green. Uh, ours affected the cotyledon leaves, which hadn't fallen yet. So they scorched off, and there was a slight white tinging to them. But it's always looking at your new growth to see how that is being affected. And if it's lush new growth is green, 
then you're just slowly transitioning it to being outdoors, okay? Okay. Okay, and don't worry about if you put the Bordeaux spray on there. Uh, if there's anything that was on there, it's not there now. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Okay, thanks. Enjoy the day. Okay, bye. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to answer the lines right now. Hi, Marianne. Hi, how are you today? I'm good. I'm very, well, I'm a little tired, but good. <laughs> it's like, it's like the farmer putting his fields in, you know, uh, uh, stocking shelves and making things look good. And I just, yeah. last, last night I took a little bit of time just to go through and look at the flowers. I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, ahead of you guys. I'm, I'm doing a little bit of deadheading and encouraging new growth. And, you know, that's a peaceful time, right? Right. It yeah. Is. It's- it's nice to get that uh, done, too, so that uh, they bush out more, right? Oh, so true. So true. I am, an, I am such an encourager that when we first plant our little, our little seedlings, that if you get one little branch growing, let's let it grow just a little bit and give it a snippet, then you get three, and then you let them grow, and then you get five. So, yeah. yeah, it's like a clean haircut every, every now and then. I just love doing it. How can we help you this morning? Okay, we are uh, planning on putting um, a planter box or whatever you call it. You know, those the ones that you build on the front of the house. Yeah, like um, um, you're, you're going to do a, a, a like a yeah planter like a <laughs> raised wall. a raised retaining wall garden bed. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's going to be about twelve to eighteen inches high. Now, I'm wondering about planting perennials in there do they fare well on um in in those kind of places as well okay are you out in the where first of all where are you calling from new bothwell new bothwell okay so sometimes there's there's always a different rule of thumb because it depends on the conditions your exposures all that kind of stuff that's in it so if you're in new bothwell if you're in a sheltered area uh, rock walls up against the house, um, even though they're a foot high, sometimes have a tendency to you're going to be able to put some perennials in there because you have the added warmth of your house. If okay. you were go- if you were going to go higher, I'd say you know um, I've seen some that are like two, three, four, you know, three feet, two and three feet high in the middle of some areas, and in those instances, the insulating factor that goes through the rock wall to the core. It may not be enough. Now, okay. I would probably, are you in a little farmstead with a nice little uh, sheltered area or are you open? Uh, we are in a residential area. Okay, so you're probably and, a little, sh- yeah, go ahead. And we face uh, the front of uh, where the planter would be would be facing west. So okay. it gets a good part of the sun in the summertime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Foundations up against houses. Now, here's a few tips. When we do our landscaping up against the houses, make sure that your rock wall is, um, how do I say this, out far enough in proportion to what the scale of your home is. Right. And because um, so I always like telling different scenarios, I sometimes see rock walls built where... They're really uh, in line with the house, but they're built so that they're under the... If I look up, there's the overhang that's there. And most plants Mm -hmm. and shrubs and everything don't like to be planted too close to the house because that 
extra heat in the winter, they like to be pulled out a little bit. So if you're planting it, give it a little bit of a depth that's in there because the more soil that you have up against the house and, um, you know, wider, like don't go two feet, go a little bit wider, undulated, pull it away a little bit. Um, also too, you can just hear my brain going, I, there's so much I have to tell you. Um, <laughs> when you build that up too as well, you're going to know that if you're too close, the plants that are closer to the house are going to be a little drier than the other ones further away, especially facing west. So you're going to have to make sure, mm-hmm. yeah, you're going to have to water a little bit better. And that yep. takes you right back to the winter too as well. Now you're going to want to, I, I know we don't want to talk about snow and freezing up again, but when you go to put your uh, plants and your bedding away in the fall, the most important thing is put um, water into those plants so that they're well iced up in that garden because okay. your house is going to be warm and that soil there, even though it feels frozen over the winter, that warming effect will steal some of that moisture out from that, from there too as okay. well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think you'll be do, uh, good. Um, just give yourself backfill it with a nice four way, four way or three way blended mix that are on it. Any new soil that you have going in there. Um, I have high expectations that you'll be doing a little bit of weeding in the first two years because <laughs> new soil brings new weeds that are there. Uh, so okay. if, yeah, so if you want to, I don't know if you're planning on putting fabric and rock in that bed or if you're just going to have it all black soil. Uh, just hopefully black soil and maybe a few ornamental rocks in there, but yeah, um, nothing. Um, we're, we're in an area where it's too windy to add mulch. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. You don't want a mulch yard. That's for sure. <laughs> so yeah, we, we know that the mulch doesn't work. We tried it in in one of our other places where we lived in it, it, it looks beautiful as long as there's no wind. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. <laughs> and you know what? I love, there's something about, um, just having the soil so that you can, and this is where the weed reduction, if you're not going to put a mulch in to help you with the weed prevention, is you want to make sure that you have a, a, a mulch, for those that are going to use it, deep enough that you prevent the weed seed from getting in the soil. But that does not mean that you're never going to get a weed because oh, yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> a, weed will grow, a weed will grow between a rock where there's no soil if it's given moisture. You know, yeah. All it needs yeah. is that little bit of moisture. So your black soil... The most enjoyable time is to just get yourself a nice little, uh, you just call it, to, it's yours, it's the she-ho that you can just go in there and just kind of till up the soil <laughs> a little bit. It just, it's beautiful. Black dirt around some crisp, beautiful plants is beautiful. Interesting. Okay. okay. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. Hey, thank you very much for the giggle this morning. Okay. <laughs> you too. Okay. Okay. In- bye-bye. Bye-bye. Enjoy your day. You're listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal. We have a caller on the line. We're going to go right there. Good morning, Susie. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And where are you calling from today, Susie? Winkler. How can we help you on the Lawn and Garden Journal? Well, last week there was somebody calling about the maggots and their onions. Yeah. And I have found that if you do companion planting, that you plant your carrots and your onions side by side make your rows only like about eight inches apart and uh, then the carrot greens they just hang right over the onion rows 
the insects that like the onions, they don't like the carrots, and the insects that like the carrots don't like the onions, so it keeps them safe. Oh, that's, you know what, there is a lot of things, there is a lot, and a lot of people do look at companion planting for putting things in. So that's actually very good. Crop rotation also really works with it as well. And also, too, uh, maybe sometimes um, there is a cloth that you can put on when you're originally planting your bulb to prevent the fly from coming in on some of the maggots that's on it. So, yes, uh, I'm a true believer that by using crop rotation and planting companion plants would be a good thing. And carrots is really good. Okay, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Have a great day. Bye-bye. And it is. It's like, what do we plant with what and with, you know, there's always that rationale. And also crop rotation. Crop rotation, uh, we know with uh, farming and, and with the vegetables, that's a very important portion of it to do because not only uh, it's like putting beans, like rotating your beans and getting some nitrogen put into the ground, there is a purpose of changing not only and adding amendments to the soils, but rotating the crops allows for certain plants to put nutrients back into it or going through and and just changing things up a bit it is important that's in it it is a beautiful rainy day today it's kind of time to relax and sort of see what's out there yeah it puts a different pace on being in the garden but we have to remember the moisture and we've been sort of reminding people too that the evergreens and the cedars all need it and our large trees because we know that the water level has been really really low and this all allows the intake it's like us sort of saying you know what we're really thirsty we're going to pull up the moisture and have a nice long drink this is important for our plants it's also a time too to sort of look at some areas of the garden that maybe you have an assessment of some plants that may not have survived the winter and this may be also because a Look for areas that maybe are too dry of spots. You can have some areas where when you're planting certain perennials that they like those areas that are damp all the times. Maybe at the end of downspouts or areas that are low-lying areas of the yard. So you're always targeting whether you go, okay, when it does rain, this area gets a lot of moisture. Maybe we should plant willows there or eupatorium or something that loves that moisture for when it is in high water season so that's another conversation right more gardening let's go right back to the line we're going to go right to Anne. hi Ann. good morning good morning good morning and where are you calling from morden well good morning morden what is an effective way to keep the deer away from the garden if i can't afford a fence around them oh um i'd say sometimes well some people have pets that will help them, like a dog will sometimes cheer, uh, chase them away. Yeah. But sometimes the dogs think of the deers as friends, too, <laughs> after a while start playing with them. Yeah. Uh, you just bring to heart, I have two West uh, Highland Terriers, and they, in their younger years, used to chase them, and now they just kind of look at them and sit side by side. So. <laughs> yeah. So that's a hard one, because I know deer, and the more and more that they get familiar with us they get close up and uh sometimes personal with people uh you also just gave me a reminder uh my sister who lives down in the southern states uh, has one of these little uh cameras on her front door 
And, uh, you know, when the doorbell rings and that says there's someone at the front door, she's quite amazed when she has a deer standing on her front doorstep. Oh, my. So you have to say that um, sometimes flagging tape, like if you change things around a little bit, maybe get some streamers and flagging tape. Um, but as far as deer, uh, I know blood meal. Blood meal, if you use that around the base of some of your products and your plants, it's a good deterrent. Okay. There's also plant skid, which is a, a blood-based spray that you can put on some of the plants, but it does give a reddish cast and it does have a scent. And intrinsically, animals will have a higher sensory smell than we do. So in essence, uh, for the blood meal and the plant skid, if they smell that, it's kind of a warning. Hey, hey, you know what? This might be uh, not an area that I want to be in because something's happened here. <laughs> okay. 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 Yeah. I but, was thinking um, of scarecrows, but uh, they would get used to those too, right? Yeah, scarecrows isn't going to be for deer. That's no. more for birds and that kind of stuff that's on it. Yeah. Um, uh, sprinklers. If you have a sprinkler system or uh, sometimes there's a product... I don't know. Um, it's called Scarecrow. Oh. And it, you attach it to the hose, and it's only activated by if something comes into the area. Yeah. So you can it emits a strong blast of spray at them, so it could startle them. But then again, if you're using it in the same location all the time, they're smart. They're going to go around, so you're going to have to relocate that as well. Exactly, yeah. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. You're very welcome. Okay, good luck with the deer. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. So let's go to the lines. Elaine is next. Hi, Elaine. Hi. Hi. How are you, and where are you calling from? I'm calling from Killarney. Well, hello to everyone in Killarney today. Uh, I have a pink, tame water lily that I cannot get it to flower when it goes out into the pond. Right now it's in the basement. Okay. basement. Now, how old is your water lily? Have you had it for a number of years? Yes, a number of years. Okay, and when did it stop blooming? Hasn't bloomed the last couple of years. Oh, okay. So there's kind of a, maybe a few things that happen with it because as plants start to mature, have you ever, um, have you split and divided it or have you, is it always been in the same pot? It's in the same pot. It's a big tub pot. A big tub pot, okay. And it's got lots of leaves, right? Seems to have. Okay, all right. So there's a couple things that could affect the blooming of a water lily that's on it if it fails to bloom. It could be a combination or one or two of these things. So sometimes water temperature, if the water temperature doesn't get high enough to its uh, capacity that they like it to be at, and it should be at least 80 degrees around that temperature. That well, say, uh, just whatever the air is, we don't yeah. heat the pond at all. Yeah, so if it doesn't get to 80 degrees, then that could be part of it. And the other part is uh, water lilies themselves, though we like the foliage to shade the underside of the leaves in, in prevention of algae and growth, um, they, they like to have as much sunlight as they can to get them to bloom. There's lots of sun in the pond. Lots of sun. Okay, mm -hmm. so the third one I'm going to say is... Uh, before you put it into the pod, try getting some fertilizer tabs to give it some extra nutrient and extra feed. Fertilizer tabs. Yeah, there's fertilizer tabs that you can get for water lilies that will be a little tab because it's hard to throw fertilizer in the water. But there's little tabs that you can get that you can poke into the um, 
to your strata of soil mixture for your water lilies before you put them in the pond. And especially for the water lily. And they're for a water lily, yeah. Okay. Okay, you can probably get that at any garden center. Okay, sounds good. Okay. And the other question is, uh, what do I do with my potted poinsettia to get it to flower next Christmas? Oh, so you have a green thumb and it's still growing, right? <laughs> I don't know about that, but okay, I wonder. Well, with poinsettias, if you if it's still going, uh, the one thing about poinsettias is they love growing in the full sun. So the best thing for them is to grow outdoors or in an area of the house that has as much bright light as you can. That's on it. In and the then, pot? In, the, in a pot, yeah. If you want it, even at this point, if it's in the same pot that you bought it in, you could probably bump it up into a pot a pot size an inch or two bigger, not, mm-hmm. not any bigger than that. And um, probably for about six, seven weeks, uh, what I want you to do is to choose a room uh, prior to when you're wanting it to reset and start changing color is it has to go into an area that is completely dark at the same time of day for the same number of hours for a time period of six or seven weeks, okay? That's just before Christmas. Yeah, well, prior. So you're going to be starting probably in October, okay? Mm -hmm. That's on it. So if you start at that point, and literally you put it either, you know, let's say 8 o'clock every night, it goes into the closet, or 8 o'clock at night you throw a big cardboard box over top of it. But it's one of those plants that is sort of the day neutral. You need to have a darkening effect for it to set the color tone, not the flower. I'm not talking about the flower because the flower is very, um, the flower is not the leaf. It's something else, okay? Mm-hmm. So it causes that color change. All right? Well, we'll try that, I guess. Yeah, you, you can try it and see where it's going from because you will see that it changes color. It will be a slow transition. And then, it, is it a red or is it pink? Red. Red? Yeah. Then it will char- start to change to that. Don't forget to keep fertilizing on it, too, as well, okay? So if I put it in a spare bedroom that, you know, isn't used, yep. and just leave the door open uh, 24-7, is that close enough? You can leave the door open 24-7, as long as you're not turning the lights on when you walk into that bedroom. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you start going in there and sort of saying, oh, I'm going to go in there and work for a bit or I'm going to go in there to do something, you do not want an interruption on that timing mm-hmm. of, you know, day to night hours. Okay. Okay? Sounds good. Okay, sounds good. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for calling, Elaine. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know what? Already, just think of all the gardening that we do. We're still talking about plants from indoors to outdoors, because the transition of plants is all around us. We have tropical plants that are meant to be in our houses all winter, but we're bringing them outdoors. Why not? Hibiscus, oleanders, uh, perfume trees. These are all beautiful things that we can dress up our decks and our patios, enjoy them outdoors. And then when, yep, when uh, things get a little whiter out there, we're bringing that greenery indoors to motivate us and inspire us. Elsie's on the line. Good morning, Elsie. Good morning, Cara. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are, and uh, where are you calling from today? Beauxjeur. Beauxjeur. Well, hello. Good morning, Beauxjeur. Anyway, I have a, a tropical plant I've had for a while. It's a Massangina or something. A Massa, uh, Masanga cane? It's a Dracaena fragrance. Okay, it, yes, you have, 
Yeah, you have a Dracaena. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> anyway, it's got brown on the tips. And I don't know what when I bought it. It was uh, fairly healthy, and I, I don't know what I've done wrong that it's turned. It's doing that. Okay, so Dracaena fragrance, it, it belongs in the... Um, um, it's in your uh, Dracaena cane. Some uh, it, now it's sometimes called as a cornstalk. Does, so it, does it have the large woody stem that's on it? Pardon? Does it have a thick stem? A thick woody stem? Uh, thick stem. It's it's like a cornstalk. It has a woody stem that comes up because there's different types of Dracaena uh, plants that are in that capacity. But normally, oh. when we see uh, brown tips that could indicate uh, watering uh, scheduling issues or low humidity. So if you have an area where your house is low of humidity, maybe misting the leaf structure of your plant will help to increase the humidity around them. Um, Is it planted in a pot that has drainage? Yeah, fair size pot, yeah. Yeah. And it has drainage holes in the bottom, so the water comes out the bottom of the pot? Uh, I think it has a, a, a area in the back bottom of it so that the water can drain down. Okay, I'm not that's sure. Good. Yeah, that's good. The importance, because uh, I know there's some beautiful pottery out there, like pottery is the new big thing that's happening right now because everyone is into plants and houseplants, and they there's so many different trendy types of pots. Uh, not just colors, but there's some, you know, you can get ones with little faces and dogs and there's so many little characters. But the most important thing when we're looking at house plants, it's the moisture that we give them. But we have to make sure that there's a release of moisture because otherwise, how do I say it? If we have a bowl and there's no release of the water on the bottom, if we keep adding water to that bowl and the plant doesn't take up all the moisture... We're just creating a soup bowl. And if it's not a water plant, uh, the roots stay too wet too long. And some of the indications are yellowing leaves with brown tips or we get brown tips that's on it. So can I ask, are there any yellow leaves or are they just the brown tips on the very A little bit of yellow and brown on the tips. Okay. So I would check the moisture to make sure, A, uh, that with the corn stalks, most house plants can go quite dry between waterings. So if you're watering, I'd say on a corn plant, uh, corn stalk or dracaena, if you're watering in a house uh, more than once a week, uh, you might be wa- overwatering it too much. It depends on how dry your house is too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, A, when you water it, make sure you have the excess water that comes off the bottom. Let's start uh-huh. with that. Okay. I, I was wondering if I should maybe transplant it. Uh, it says here, as your plant grows, it will shed its lower leaves, which it hasn't done, resulting in a bare stem with a cluster of leaves on top. Yep. Droopy yellow leaves are a sign of overwatering. Yep, yep. They can also be a sign of underwatering because if you, um, in most cases, um, I try and train some of the people here that are newbie waterers that we have, and when we lo- lose lower leaves on certain plants, it's either under stress from underwatering or overwatering. But the thing is, on 
on in your case, the Dracaena itself, the way it grows, is supposed to lose its lower leaves because it becomes this corn stalk that's on it. If you want hmm. to, I would say, Elsie, if you want to transplant it, it's not going to hurt it. When you transplant it, you're going to transplant it in a size of a pot that is maybe two inches more in size. Don't go big, mm-hmm. big, big. And it's actually a really good way and method that if you can lift it up, you're going to be able to investigate and see what those roots actually look like in the pot. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah if, I think I'll do that. Yeah, if you lift I, I also have a philodendron. I, when I took the slip, it was very healthy. And then when I put it in soil and it's growing, now it's got black in its leaves and holes, some holes. Okay, that could be too. When you're doing the philodendron, you're putting in a, a, a leaf slip and you're putting it into a, a medium to grow, start with a, a very little bit of soil. You don't need a big pot, you need a small pot. Because oh. I, I always say little plant, little soil, because it, it doesn't need all that soil because A, it doesn't have the capacity that if you water that soil to pull up and make that soil dry out so it stays wet too long. So it makes it black on the leaves? Black on the leaves is fungal or rot. So it may, oh. be, it may be rotting a little bit. Okay. Uh, okay. okay, so do some... Pull that up too. <laughs> yeah, pull, pull pull it out and if you see that... Okay, that, that's that's the thing too. I always like, you know, like some people say my buds aren't opening on my flowers. I say take an exacto blade, cut it open. Maybe you'll see a bug. There's always the investigation. You could be a sleuth today, like an investigator. Um, if you, on your philodendron, if you pull it out of the soil and you see any white new nodular root growth then your plant is probably under a little bit of stress because of being in a size pot. Then what you could do is take that slip and put it in a little tiny pot and start off slow and small, okay? Mm, I want okay? to try that then. Yeah, and on your big one, pop it out, take a look at the roots. If they're uh, uh, dry, then maybe we're not giving it enough moisture. But if you investigate the roots, and the roots should be either uh, white healthy if you see black or partially mushy soft roots that's on there then it might be overwatered. Oh, okay okay oh okay. thank you very kindly oh you're very welcome all right <laughs> thank you for your time have a nice weekend you too hun enjoy your weekend yeah. let's keep talking about our gardens susan's next hi susan hi this is susan Clausen from austin well, hello, Austin. Yeah, and I have a hydrangea plant. I've got given as a gift, and it's planted in my my front south window. It's a front window, but to me, but it's a south window, and it gets lots of light. But it's an endless summer bloomstruck plant, and it hasn't bloomed for me. And it was so pretty when I got it, and I was so looking forward to it. Is there anything that's lacking that I could do for it to make it bloom? It's a nice, luscious plant, green plant, but it doesn't bloom. Okay, so how old is it? Well, it's, uh, I think it's the sixth summer uh, from when I got it. It's sixth summer? And, yeah. it's in a, and it's in a sunny location? It's doing, yes. Okay, and are you getting tons of greenery and no bloom? or are you getting... I wouldn't say tons. It's just a nice, luscious green bush. It's, not, not, uh, it's nice and full, but not overly full. Okay. But okay. Uh, I was 
thinking it should have buds. <laughs> yes, it should have buds. The hydrangea in the endless summer uh, bloom strike is beautiful. That's on it. It's got well, a beautiful color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're wanting to try and give it a little boost, I would. Uh, are you adding any extra fertilizer to it? Well, I do, just same as I did my other flowers. Yeah, yeah, but your hydrangea is an acid-loving, high nitrogen uh, plant. Yeah. So if you're if you're doing like um, Miracle Grow fifteen thirty fifteen, yeah, try switching it up a little bit and going to more of a thirty ten ten or a thirty six twelve twelve. Okay. okay. Because what hydra- did you say? Thirty ten ten. Yeah. Well, the old the old school was muric acid from way back, or else there's some. As long as your front Number is the highest number in its what, 30s. What was the second number you gave me? Uh, 36, 12, 12. 36, 12, 12. Yeah. Okay. So if, if, as long as you're, those are the NPK numbers of the fertilizer for most plants. Okay. So as, as long as you have a very high number, Susan, at the front, mm-hmm. then you want to increase more of acidic quantity for your plants. Okay. And, and I other, should do it right now already, right? Yeah, I would do it now. The other thing, too, that you can do is if you're not fertilizing all the time, if this is a, is it a new bed or is it an old bed that you've planted it into? Well, uh, it, the, the, the place has been here uh, for, uh, what was it, two, I've been here uh, six years. So it's been eight years that this place has been here that I'm living in. Yeah. And I would consider it still new, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's six new. Year. Yeah, so what it is is sometimes the soil content, and we are, uh, I don't know what your uh, soil is like in Austin, but we're it's very sandy. sandy. Okay, so what, if you're sandy and it's quick draining, I would probably get some amendments in there. You could probably add some compost and some peat moss. To, oh, okay. Uh, because peat moss adds acidic content to the earth. So okay. if you want to get yourself a small bag of uh, peat moss and work its way around there. And Just maybe... around, not into the bush. No, you can not <laughs> into the soil. Yeah, you I can mean put like it... in the mid- midst of the, of the bush, of that yes. plant. Yes, yep, yep. Just Do around it... it from the outside or all over? You can... Well, if you, if, you know what, uh, hydrangeas are kind of a little brittle, so I don't want you to dis- disrupt it if it's already sort of growing out, but... Most of the times when we do applications, we're doing it around the drip line. Yeah, okay. That's the outer areas of oh, it. Oh, yeah. That's where the finer roots are. Okay. So if you, and let's see if we can... I'm suspecting that your pH is too low. Try doing that a little bit that's on there. Trying to get some pH in there. Mm-hmm. And um, see if that plays a difference. Because already if you're fertilizing with your flower one, which is your high middle number... Yeah, and I do and that it, every day. Yeah, if, that, if that's not working, let's shock it. And sometimes okay. shocking a plant... By changing its regime uh-huh. will cause, we're, put it this way, if it's under stress, the first thing it's going to do is produce a bud and a bloom. Yeah. Because the plant survival technique, that is, if, if a plant is under stress, it's going to try and produce a flower, which is going to produce a seed to continue its generation. Mm-hmm. So if, we'll kind of shock it, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, then. Okay. Thank you Let so me. Much. You're welcome. Let me know how it goes, Susan, yeah, okay? Yeah, okay, thanks. Bye-bye. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. So, and in essence, that if you think of the life cycle of a plant, and this is where uh, earlier when I sort of started off saying, you know what, when you have a small little plant and you see one branch, and I love where you take annuals and you cut it and you get three or four and you get five or six, when you get a plant that is not blooming, 
stressing it will sometimes create that effect that will get it to go into a next bloom. And this may be something that may, uh, some of you may be affected that if on certain trees, uh, I know that we've had a few callers that uh, rabbits have girdled the trees all the way around and have eaten these trees where the bark is actually gone. And some people are saying, but it's still flowering. It's early. How could it die? Well, just remember trees and shrubs. If you had an incident where the cambium and the bark has been eaten and that connective tissue has been disconnected, there is enough energy in that tree and the shrub in the upper canopy and the upper source of that tree to produce as much as it wants to. And it knows that it's going to have a little bit of a demise. So it's given out the last hurrah of a lot of flowers. Let's go right back to the lines. Diane is waiting. Hi, Diane. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Where are you calling from? I've got Morden and different areas. Where are Uh, you from? I'm calling from Alonza. Alonza. Oh, I think you're my first Alonza person. (laughs) How can we help you today on the Lawn and Garden Journal? I have a hibiscus plant that's six years old, and the branches are getting way too long. I always put it outside in the summertime, and I was wondering when I could trim the branches off so I could actually get it out the door. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, you can do that now because if you see that you're going to just start on the new emergence of the new tip growth that's in there, mm-hmm. which is softer, so I would be doing your trimming now and then allow the new... Uh, It depends on how far back you're going to cut into the old wood to do that pruning back. Because if you prune it back, Diane, into where it's older wood, it's going to take a bit more time to bush out and produce more branches. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell me how much new growth has started on it? Um, Six inches, four inches? Um... Probably about four inches. Four inches? Okay. The other thing that you can do is if you... uh, still like the capacity of the shape you can take that four inches off because next to that that wood that's connective tissue to that is going to be a little bit softer than further back onto it okay okay but in essence too in reality when we're doing a lot of pruning if you want to reshape any type of what we call a hardy tree in our areas we always give a rule of thumb that you can take up to one third off Okay. That doesn't that doesn't mean one third from the bottom. That means one third from the top <laughs> down. Okay. <laughs> we want to make sure that's correct. Right. You know, though there's always a broken rule. And I, you know, years ago, um, I always get a little bit of chuckle because conversation brings to stuff. Because there are a couple shrubs that you can actually take right back. But do not do that to your hibiscus. No, no, I won't. <laughs> you know, gardening takes us everything from outdoors to indoors. There's so many different questions. There's so many different Um, sort of rules, but you've also heard me say there's a rule to be broken because there's always a different case scenario, right? Things change. It depends on whether it acts for this or with this. As always, it's been a pleasure being with you on the Lawn and Garden Journal. Let's get gardening, everyone. Enjoy it. Reap the rewards of it. It gives you energy. It gives you hope. It gives you faith. And it gives you exercise and good spirits. We'll be back on the Lawn and Garden Journal next week. Bye-bye, everyone.